to another edition of Intentional Conversations. On Intentional Conversations, we seek to interview leaders in men's ministry to help men grow spiritually and help leaders and pastors to reach men in today's culture. Discussing issues men face every day. It is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. I am Mike Salen, your host, and I thank you for joining us today. If you have uh, listened to me for any time, there are two statements you have heard me say often. One is that men are one of the most neglected people groups in our churches and actually in our society today. And two, men need other men in their lives to encourage them in their spiritual walk with Christ and to pick them up when they fall into the miry clay as Ecclesiastes 4 teaches us. As my guest on the program today, I have a man who is leading the charge to encourage and help men to be men God created us to be. To help men understand, it is essential for a man to have another man in his life as a mentor, a discipler, or as a brother who he can lean on as we walk through this life. These are dangerous times that we are living in, and in those, we men need to have other men who watch our back. So prayerfully on this program, we'll learn how to maneuver through these dangerous times as we speak to Mr. Jim Ramos. I appreciate Jim for being on the program today. He is the founder of, of Men in the Rain. And let me, let me ask a little bit or share a little bit of his bio before uh, we officially welcome him on. But Jim founded Men, men in the Rain in 2012 with a vision of leading men to their best uh, version in Christ. Jim is rapidly becoming one of the most premier, premier voices of Christian men in America. In 2020, he was asked to sit on the board of directors for the National Coalition of Ministries to Men as the only board member west of the Mississippi River. NCMM is the largest coalition of men's ministry leaders on the planet with over 100 organizations in membership. The Men in the Arena podcast has been downloaded by men in 122 different countries, while the Men in the Arena Facebook group for men has over 10,000 men from around the world who are engaged in daily conversations relating to manhood. Jim is married to his wife, Shauna, for 29 years with three sons, James, Darby, and Colton. Jim, thank you for being with me on the program today. Hey, Mike, it's a pleasure to be on the show, man. I'm just honored and humbled that you asked me. Great. I, did I pronounce your wife's name correctly? It's Shanna. Shanna. Okay. I apologize, and I apologize to her for for, for uh, tongue tying that. But uh, appreciate you let she letting you being able to do this kind of work because it is a demanding work a lot of times. And, it is and, for sure, <laughs> and I appreciate that. Well, Jim, I have two questions I always ask and ask my guests when we uh, get on the air, and that is the first one is what is your favorite verse or a verse that you may anchor your ministry around or, or something that maybe God is speaking to you right now. What is that favorite verse and, and why is that verse so important to you? Well, you know, I have to go back to how many times I've prayed over people or sent people cards and what are some prevailing verses I've written down or I've quoted. And, and the verse that pops into my brain is Philippians 1, 6, where Paul says, I am confident of this very mm. thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that verse resonates with me for a couple of reasons, Mike. The first one is God is never done with you. It doesn't matter how bad your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, you know, the baggage you carry. God is never done with you. And the second thing is that God wants us to grow as long as we have breath in us, we should be growing in our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. 
in our stature, in every way we should be growing. And then the, the third thing for me is this, your career does not equate to how you serve God. Mm -hmm. Just because you may retire from a job does not mean that God is done with you and his purpose. If Amen. you have, if you have breath in you, God has a plan. And Amen. so, man, I think, honestly, the older I get, the more of an asset I think I become because of my wisdom and experience. And I see these young 35-year-olds, I'm like, gosh, I, I remember when I was young and dumb. <laughs> but at, 30, <laughs> at 35, I thought I knew everything, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I can remember those, I remember those days. And, and yeah, you're right. I, I, uh, that's one of the things that God has impressed upon me. Uh, you know, I retired from many years of working in power industry and, and after I retired there, it, it, it dawned on me that, uh, uh, if you're still walking on this planet, God's got a plan for you and he's got, he, he's wanting you to do some work. And, uh, and so I like to talk to some, a lot of our retired guys about the fact that, uh, your ministry probably has just begun, uh, when you retire from your career. And, well, if you, if you look at Colonel Sanders, he didn't, oh, even, start, yeah. he didn't even start the chicken company till he was 68. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's how old you are, Mike. So you're, you're just ready, ready to rock and roll, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it is I, I equate back to, uh, uh, Moses and Joshua. When you look at them, Moses was 80 years old when he began to re lead the Israelites. Yeah. Those guys lived longer back in those days, but still he was 80 years old. Joshua was 85 when he led them into the promised land. And here we talk about wanting to sit back and play golf and sit in our easy chair and, and fish and stuff like that, which is nothing wrong with that. But still, you know, God still got a plan for you to get out there and spread the gospel. So thank you. Appreciate that. Well, tell me, Jim, how did you come to Christ? Man, that's a that's a great question. Now, now I need, <laughs> I, I need you. I need you to take that and bring it down to a, a Reader's Digest version. But still. No, I hear. Yeah, so basically, uh, all, I was born and raised Catholic, mm -hmm. uh, very religious background. Uh, I hated church. It was boring to me. That was the only thing I didn't like. It was boring. Uh, when my parents got divorced on my 13th birthday, my mom said, we don't ever have to go to church again. Uh, by the time I was 15, I was playing ba freshman basketball, 14. I had just turned 15. I'd had a birthday a couple days before. And I remember I had two cassettes in my hands, ACDC's Back in Black and Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic. And we had come back from <laughs> basketball practice. I had my basketball coach was driving me home and he started preaching to me because he was our campus life leader. And I remember telling that guy, hey, man, uh, I, I like you, but don't. I'm never going to go to church again, so you don't need to talk to me about this stuff. And he said, right. listen, he said, Christianity is not about church, but a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I had never heard that before. And mm -hmm. for four, four years, I stewed on that and thought about that and considered, man, I could have a relationship with my creator. And by my senior year, that same coach was one of my assistant football coaches, and through a series of events, he ended up leading me to Christ after my senior year of high school. I went away to play college on a scholarship uh, to a, a Santa Clara University. Uh, while I was there, I had a knee surgery. And in surgery, I had an anaphylactic reaction to the anesthesia, uh, an anesthetic. I almost died. I went code blue. I was in ICU for three days. And I was the, uh, the um, reaction caused me to be blind for three days. And while I was uh, in ICU, as a Christian that wasn't serving God, I heard the voice of God for the first time, and he said, I want you to make a difference in the lives of teens. So I changed my major, went back to school, started working with uh, autistic kids and severely learning disabled uh, uh, teenagers. And that led me to a process where I eventually uh, 
gave my life fully to Jesus Christ, and I entered full-time ministry about six months after I gave my life, surrendered my life to Christ. Wow. Wow. That's quick. Yeah. So that's (laughs) that's what happened. I've been doing full-time ministry uh, since 1990. Mm. Mm. Well, how did you get into the men's part of that? How did you get into ministry? Because, I mean, that's a specific calling to work with men. And in my opinion, you know, with my experience, and 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 you hear this all the time. You and I probably do when we talk about talk to men that works with men's ministry. It's one of the hardest ministries you could do in the church. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Mike. So I I did youth ministry from 1990 until 2010 when I went to a men's conference in Colorado as the speaker. Never mm-hmm. spoke to men before, and God really used it. I had a blast. I realized, man, I really, I really do well in front of men. Men respond better to me than youth group kids do. Um, I realized that I, I, I'm a big guy. I'm a, a muscular guy. I played college football. I hunt. I fish. I, I love the outdoors. Men are kind of drawn to me naturally for some reason. And after that 2010 event, I started really working on, wow, what's what's going on in my heart? Something's changing. And then in 2011, at the end of 2011, I went to, I was at a coffee shop in uh, uh, Eastern Oregon and I was drinking this coffee uh, out of a a paper cup. And I noticed there was a quote on there from a guy who lived around 185 AD named St. Arrhenius. Mm -hmm. And the quote said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Mm. And as I reflected on that, I was like, man, I mean, God radically called me to youth ministry when I was a 19 year old kid in the ICU after knee surgery but my heart had began to shift. So I pondered that quote on this coffee cup, and I realized that everything God had made me for, my physical stature, my voice, uh, my heart and passion, uh, the things that bothered me uh, in ministry, everything pointed to men because I had learned over the years that the thing that I struggled with the most as a youth pastor was kids carrying baggage and bondage from dads who are either not engaged or dads oh, yeah. who have damaged them. Oh yeah. And I and I sat there in that coffee shop going, but God, I was blind for three days. This is I need a radical calling. And God just whispered to my heart, sitting in a leather chair, staring at a bear rug and a salmon and an elk mount. God whispered my heart and said, hey, I just changed your heart. So now I'm called to men. I knew I was called to men. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I had our denominational leader licking his chops, sending me to all these church planting seminars. Uh, we had, you know, I was pondering, do I become a senior pastor somewhere else, plant a church? And I just, I have this theory in life. Uh, right now, I'm a Linfield University football chaplain. I'm actually speaking about this tonight to the guys. I believe that the majority is usually wrong. I operate under that pr- premonition that the majority is usually wrong. And so I realized, well, the church is... It, we, I was in a large church that had zero dollars given to men, and I mm. realized that churches neglect men more than any th- other people group in the church. Men are vilified more than any other people group in the world. There's, but, but in the Bible, when I read the Bible, whenever a man got it, everything around him changed. Oh, and yeah. I realized that God in the Bible always starts with men, from mm. Adam to the disciples to Jesus to Paul to Peter. God, he, his desire is to start with men. And I realized, man, we've been targeting 
you know, the, the large church movement, they target, you know, women and children and youth ministries and stuff. And I realized, but that's great. But if you target the men and get that man, you get, you get five for the price of one. I Amen. mean, this just, I don't know why churches aren't doing this. Amen. So I, I said, you know what, I'm going to do the hard thing. We are in a horrible economy, and I, I just went for it, Mike. We launched Men in the Arena from scratch with no support, no help, no sugar daddy. We just went for it. And about three months into our uh, – by June of 2012, we were full-time. Uh, we were raising support and doing what we could and struggling. Our house was going into foreclosure. Uh, we, we, you know, we had the – you know first the white letters come from the bank, then the pink letters, then the yellow yeah. letters, then the phone calls. And uh, we were we were getting ready to lose our house, and through a series of uh, miraculous events—not only miraculous events on my heart, but miraculous events financially—God redeemed that ministry. And honestly, we haven't looked back since. And it's been a struggle and a wrestle, and uh, it's been ups and downs. But you know, we started with 15 guys in a coffee shop in 2012, and and last week on one day we had 1,500 guys download our podcast in one day. Our forum, wow. which our forum, which a month ago had ten thousand guys in it, like you shared, is now at eleven thousand. Our Instagram following in the last year and a half has gone from seven hundred to almost eleven thousand. Mm. And so, you know, I'm seeing God do a miracle, and it's because you know when He called us, you know, we went all in. And I think that's the key for guys: is that you know, are you all in? Are you willing? So, what if you lose your house? I mean, really, is it that big of a deal? So what if you lose your your money? Is it that big of a deal? I mean, if we don't risk it all, we're not going to see God move mightily. And and so that's my story. That's how we got into ministry. And today, you know, I had a phone call but from my board chair last week. He said, hey, man, we only have two months of income in the bank, and I've got six staff I'm paying now. Hmm. And I go, hey, man, just calm down. The next day, $26,000 check came in. I'm like, See, God just takes care of us. So, and I and there may be a day when that doesn't happen, and and that's okay. We'll we'll just take that as a sign and go. Okay, Lord, what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you have a saying. You were talking a lot about you know getting into men and and uh, watching when men uh, get it. You know how everything seems to change. But you have a saying that you say often that I've heard you say often, and that is the uh, saying of when men get it, everybody wins. And, and, and it, that is so true. And, and I wish our churches would get that and understand that. I know there's, there's very few churches out there that, that intentionally target their men in, in most everything they do. And, uh, and we need more and more churches to, to intentionally target their men. So when their men do get it, I mean, the statistics shows, statistics shows, you know, of how when a man comes to Christ, how often his family up to in the 90 percentile his family will follow him but if it's a child or or the mom it's uh it's way down there in the teens basically yeah 10 to 20 percent range so yeah that, that that that's super well, well you started other, the go ahead well i was just gonna say the other thing mike i i believe those statistics and agree with them 100 percent. but mm -hmm. let's throw those statistics out for a second let's you know our friend david murrow doesn't think those are realistic statistics yeah, he doesn't agree with that. So, so true. let's let's go with David's statement and say, okay, let's say the statistics aren't real. Let's just look at the Bible. In the New Testament, over and over and over again, he and his household were saved. He and his household were saved. He and his household were saved. Over and over and over again. So we don't need yeah. statistics if we just have the Bible and we read it and believe what it says. Amen. And this is the this is the alarming thing for me is that is that so many pastors 
are reading what Jim Collins says, who's not even a Christian, or they're reading about this guy says, instead of reading the Bible, what does the Bible say? And if we understood what the Bible said about who to reach, we would go after that people group, and that people group is men, and they're stubborn, and they're we, you know, you said dangerous times. I have a book I wrote called. Yeah, Storm we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. And so yeah. this is a dangerous time to be a man, but it's also the greatest time in history to be a man because yeah. men love danger. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and before we get into, it, we're gonna talk about that book that you that just come out as uh, strong men, dangerous times, but. Just give us a snippet really real quickly about men in the arena. When y'all put, put, pulled this together and God gave you the vision, the design, what is men in the arena all about? Yeah, so the honest truth to that, Mike, is the original vision has completely changed because mm. we had no idea what God was telling us to do. We just knew that we were called to work with men. So we just went for it and we've just made things up on the fly. I mean, fake it till you make it, baby. <laughs> so, And so we got about two years into it and I realized, man, uh, this vision is not compelling. It's I'm not compelled by it. It's generic. And so we changed. We sat down as a board and prayed and and wordsmithed it. And we came up with a, a, a war cry that we absolutely are passionate about. And it, it all really does start with, we used to call this our tagline, but it really has become our purpose, man. We just believe at the head of it all, when a man gets it, everyone wins. And because right. we believe that so passionately, we've built a vision around that. And the vision is basically this. We we have a vision to see God build a con growing army of men who are becoming their best version in Christ and changing their world. Because we believe that when a man gets it, everybody around him and everything begins to change. And so that's our heartbeat. So we we are constantly in this day and age of social media, which I despise, but now it's my job. You know, uh, we are trying to build an army of men. Uh, many and many, many, many of those men are on social media. And then we want to move them into this phase where we are equipping them and inspiring them towards their best version. Amen. Amen. Well, you just held held up a book where I, where you know, you and I can see it. You know, our listening audience can see that. But uh, but you wrote a book here recently that's just come out called "Strong Men: Dangerous Times." Uh, I'd like for you to give us a little bit of background on what prompted you to write that book. What was your thought process around it, so to speak, and 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 and, and why did you write it? That's a great question. Well, in 2007, a guy I highly respect, and I'm sure you do as well, Robert Lewis. Who has who was involved with Manhood Fraternity Thirty Three and oh, all yeah. this? Oh, yeah. He wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. At the time, oh, my yeah. my kids were little boys, and in yeah, that book, that was, he, I wish I, I wish I had that book when my kids were growing up. <laughs> it was so good. But in yeah. that book, he he was the first guy I ever saw wrapped a definition around manhood. Yeah. And when I saw that, I thought, man, I've never heard a guy define manhood. And you know, we live in a day and age where men are confused. Uh, you know, we have this uh, new uh, revival in our country of this this uh, antithetical to Christianity, this religion called CRT or critical race theory or cancel yeah. culture. That's yeah. actually a religion. That's that's a worldview that's antithetical to Christ. Yeah. We see all these buzzwords flying around. Men are so confused. They can barely tell if they're a man or a, a woman anymore. <laughs> and so I thought, man, this guys are living. it. It's really dangerous to be a man. Now, I will say this, Mike. Men, uh, we, we had a friend of mine on our podcast recently, Wes Stafford. He was He's the president emeritus of Compassion International. 
He's passionate for children. But he has said, I came on your podcast, Jim, because if you can fix the man, you have fixed 85% of the world's problems. Wow. And so, so men, in other words, are the source of 80 to 90% of the world's problems. Yep. So when we say men have been vilified, as men, we have to own up to the comp that 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 statement that that males have created a problem with this world. But when a male is transformed to a man, everything around him changes. The problem is a man doesn't know what it means to be a man. So right. we we took Robert Lewis's definition of manhood because I thought it was really good, but I didn't feel like it was complete. And we really, compl I believe, completed that definition. And we said manhood is five things. And if you can do these five things, this is what separates a weak man from a strong man. It's what separates a soft man from a solid man. It's what separates a anonymous man to a man on display. These five things will make a man go from a liability to his culture to an asset. Mm. Well, let's talk about it. Can we talk about those five things real quick? Can we break them yeah, down real quick? Ab so, absolutely. Yeah, I think I have them listed here in front of me, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll just throw them out to you and you just... Uh, uh, if I've got one I'm wrong, you just correct me and, and but take a little bit and explain it. First one I have is protecting integrity. Yes. So so if you imagine uh, climbing a mountain, you've got the trailhead, the climb, the summit, the descent, and the trails end. Protecting and and we wanted to come up with a definition, Mike, that was that would cross demographics, cross uh, uh, ethnicities, cross time, uh, cross cultures. Uh, even cross religions. We didn't want to make this so Christianized that people would go, this is not, this isn't true. So this, we want to come up with a true definition of manhood and the trailhead is, is we believe that every man would agree with this. I don't care if you're red, yellow, pink, blue, you know, if you're from India, if you're from Indonesia, if you're from Thailand, everybody will, every guy I've ever met will agree that really is a man that protecting integrity is the foundational component of manhood. You know, men don't raise their children to be lying, stealing, government-supported sloths. They raise their children to be men and women of integrity. And so we put uh, progressive tenses on the for on the verbs. So it's protecting because it has to happen every day. You can lose your integrity in a second. But protecting integrity is not only the, the foundational component of manhood, but it's also the functional component of manhood. For example, in Genesis 3, God makes Adam and Eve, right? We as a human species are the only species on the planet that are that walk upright with our sex organs exposed. Now think about that. There's no other animal on the planet besides Sasquatch that does that. So we so but but when sin and, and so here's the here's the prototypical male and female. I mean, can you imagine what they must have looked like? Uh, and so here's Adam. He's this big stud. He's walking around. And when sin enters the world, when they choose to sin, what do they do? They hunched, they're hunched over now, covering up their body parts in shame because what God made to be put on display in front of the world in his Imago day in the image of God, now they're ashamed and now they have to be covered. So, so when a man lacks integrity, he lacks this functional component to stand upright on display in front of the world. Instead, he's behind a computer screen with his pants on his ankles, or he's you know hiding his taxes from from uh, other people, or 
or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And so we just feel like protected integrity is the foundational. It is the trailhead of manhood. Oh, okay. Super. Okay. How about uh, the next one? Fighting apathy. Yeah. So fighting apathy is the climb. And what I believe, especially in this day and age, you know, I just saw on the news today, Mike, uh, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers just beat the Chicago Bears in football. Right. And the quarterback, Aaron Young, or is it Aaron Young? What's his name? Aaron? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers fan. But he 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 beat, he, he's, he's consistently pounding the Chicago Bears. And at one point, he scores a touchdown, and he's yelling at the fans, I own you. I own you still. Well, now, cancel culture is saying, you can't say that. That's racist. And he made a comment today. He said, have we become that soft? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yes. So the, so when we talk about fighting apathy, I, I personally have canceled cancel culture. So I've canceled it. <laughs> I no longer have a subscription. So anyway. Have if, remember, I have to remember that next time. You have been something. canceled. I don't want to hear the buzzwords. You know, anyway. So, so when we climb this mountain of apathy, what we're doing, I'm a big guy, man. When I hike mountains, it hurts a lot. It really, really hurts. And so because my body, uh, gravity loves me. The bigger I am, the more gravity loves me. And so as men, we have a society now that's kind of push us down and hinder manhood. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's we are we are in dangerous times, but men like never before have to fight against those things to step into their role as lover of one wife over a lifetime, leader in their home servant of their children, sacrificial man for their wife. Whenever I talk to women, I don't care what they believe. If I go, would you want a man who sacrifices his life for you, who serves you daily, who, who nourishes you and cherishes you? They, they melt and they start crying. They go, I want a man like that. I go, that's a man who gets it. Yeah. He's a man who's decided to, to push against what society is saying because majority is usually wrong. And to, to step into his role as a biblical man and to become that for those who are closest to him and who depend on him the most. So uh, in a, so that is the greatest battle a man will ever fight because it's really easy to sit on the couch. It's not easy to go play basketball with my kids. It's really easy to drink a beer while I'm uh, when I get off work. It's really hard to hold my wife or nurture her. There's a lot of things. You know, so guys have to let go of the comfort in order to step into the resistance of the climb. And one of the things that characterizes the climb is pain and suffering. Yep. <laughs> yep. You're right about that. We learn, we learn a lot about that through, through pain and suffering. Oh we yeah. Just accept it. So God, see, God teaches us a lot of things during that, that period in our life. Well, the third thing you have here, which is, is interesting because we're all, you know, as men's leaders, we're always talking about this to men and that is pursuing God passionately. Yeah, so one of the verses that the original name of Men in the Arena was the Great Hunt for God, and it comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, where two times Paul says, I press on. And the Greek word he uses there is dioko. It's a hunting word. It mm -hmm. means to pursue or to chase after. And so I believe this. Now, if you think about this, Mike, protected integrity is very secular sounding. Fighting apathy is very secular sounding. So you can believe you can believe in fairies. You can believe in whatever you want, and you can be you can though you would probably agree with those statements. But if you but the summit of manhood, the apex of manhood, the 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 epitome of masculinity is when a man 
pursues the Lord Jesus Christ radically. Amen. And I think sometimes Amen. in the church we focus, I think we focus a little too much on religious activities and not calling men to surrender. I believe that when a man surrenders his life to Jesus Christ, everything else is going to fall into place. But when 80% of the men in churches don't serve or give, you've got men who are on the false summit of masculinity. They've oh, yeah. hit a summit, but it's not the true summit. The true summit, the apex of masculinity is when a man gives his life to Christ. You know, we've we've seen guys, I know a lot of pastors who are horrible humans. We've seen it in the news. Uh, I've seen a lot of guys who aren't Christians who are wonderful men, mm -hmm. right? So when God, we man. say, when we say, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything's gonna be better. No, that's not true. It's pursuing Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's when a man becomes his best version. And that's that's our goal. It's like forget all of the theology, forget all of the noise. Just radically surrender your life to Jesus. Do oh, it. Man. Absolutely. I just I totally 100 percent You know, that's one of the sad things. When I when I got into men's ministry, one of the things that God really uh, spoke to my heart came from Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. And and uh, for those of us, those of our listening audience that don't know what that means, what that's talking about, it's talking about there are so many men in our in our in our churches who will cry out, Lord, Lord, but they really don't know him. But they'll say, We did all this work for you in in the church, but you know, in the end, God's gonna look at them and say, But I never do. And 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 that's a sad, sad statement if you think about it from straight from the Bible, talking about the people who say they are Christians and are following him. Well, this next thing, I believe, I know it is there, so I don't know if this is where you pulled it from, but it comes. It, it's part of what Robert Lewis was talking about as being a courageous man, man, and that is to leading courageously. Hey, man, the art of originality is not revealing your sources. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I actually had Robert on my podcast. I'm like, Robert, I took this from you. He's like, praise God. Want to come on my podcast? Well, I've been on his podcast. So I, I just, so with our mountain motif, here's what I've seen, Mike. And I know that you've given your life to this, which I really, really appreciate. You're a hero. Is I see these guys that get in the church. They radically give their lives to Jesus. I mean, they're, they're all in. And then the, and the church says to them, just give me your wife. We'll disciple her. Give me your kids. We'll disciple them. Oh, yeah. Listen, you don't have to. The pressure is off. We've got you. And, yeah, and that's yeah. the worst thing that we can do for men. What I've, if you look, if you study Mount Everest and the tragedy of Mount Everest on in 1996 and again in 2014, what you discover is most of the people who died on Everest actually died on the descent. They die after the summit. And so what happens is through pride or inexperience or laziness, we relax. We lean back and we lose traction instead of leaning into the mountain and focusing. And what I have seen is, is men, when they do make their way to the church, they kind of lead lean back and say, hey, man, uh, I'm deferring my leadership to the church. And what I would say to men is you can defer and you can delegate everything except final responsibility. It is your job to be the spiritual leader of that family. And guys are clueless. Guys say, well, what do I do? And I love what Brian Doyle once said to me. He said, I don't tell guys what I would I do. They would be overwhelmed. I tell them, you know, what they should do, which is, hey, man, do something, do anything. 
you know, and so if I if I gave, I'm a professional Christian. I, I've been paid by the church or by people supporting my ministry for 30 years. So if I tell a guy what I do, he's going to be overwhelmed and disheartened and dis and, and he's going to be discouraged. So oh, yeah. I just tell a guy, listen, man, if you don't pray for meals, pray before meals. If you don't go to church, go to church. If you if you don't give, start giving and we'll let your kids watch you give. No online. If you ha- our target audience, Mike, is men who have kids in the home, mm-hmm. and we tell those guys, let your sons and daughters watch your giving. Let them see the checks. Let them see how much you're giving. Let them see that's a value. And so, just you know, I think if a man would just say, "Hey, I'm going to do something different than I did yesterday." That's a spiritual leader. It just just start where you are and move forward. I, I just don't want guys to be discouraged. I just know that deferring everything to the church or other people is the worst thing you can do. Begin to move into that space. Amen. And I totally agree with you. you know, and the sad thing about it is, is that uh, when you're talking about dads leading their kids, um, my dad was a good dad. And you know, I'll just share, share a little bit. My dad was a good dad. I love my dad much a lot and i know he loved his children a lot and especially my mom he really displayed how he loved them but his way of raising the children is exactly what you were just saying because that's the way he was raised was getting the kids in the church and letting the church take care of them never did i see my dad open a bible never did i see him pray and never did i see him he him um uh, actually doing something uh in the church itself but he was in church every sunday you know and when i grew up and started raising a family guess what i did same thing. It's same thing. Same thing. And unless men, unless you break that mold, you break that change and do what Jim's saying, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with the rest of your family. And and and, it, and so break that chain if that's happening. And well, and and start doing what uh, Jim just said. You know. And you know, Mike, I would add on that, Mike. There's a there's a there is a swing now of the pendulum. It used to be go to church and just. If you went to church, you had the hall pass. You were good to go. Yep. Now there's this movement that's saying, I don't need to go to church. I'm reading yeah. the Bible and I'm doing, I don't think I need the church. So, so especially after COVID or during COVID or whatever we are right now, people are moving away from the church. Oh, and, yeah. and so my question to those guys is, what are you doing to replace what the church brings? Are you leading your kids into worship? I have this walking acrostic. Are you leading your kids in worship? Are you leading your kids to approach God in prayer? Are you leading your kids to love other believers in regular fellowship? Mm. Are you leading your other kids to know the word of God? Are Mm. you leading your kids to invest your fiscal and physical resources in God's Mm. kingdom? Are you leading your kids to nurture non-believers to become disciples of Jesus? And G, Mm. are you leading your kids to give your life entirely to the gospel in Christian service. And most of those guys would say no to over half of those. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I totally agree with it. Well, let's look at the last one. Finishing strong. So of the five, this is a confession, Mike <laughs> of the five, this is probably the one where I have the biggest chip on my shoulder. And so I have a chip on my shoulder because in my office for years, I had a, a white box, about three and a half feet tall, rectangular, kind of like this and rectangular. And in it was a gun. It was a Remington model 700, 270. And it, on the box, it said found next to the body. That was the box they placed the gun in after my stepfather shot himself in the head and mm. blew his head off. And 
he left this world with a lot of question marks. We, he was a great stepdad. He was really a good to my mother, but his suicide in December 21st, uh, 2012 left a lot of questions in my mind and in the minds of those who cared about this guy. And I thought, man, the Bible does not call me to finish wrong. It calls me to finish strong. Amen. And, you know, you know, guys like me have pet peeves, right? One of my pet peeves, Mike, is, is uh, I refuse to uh, use a Bible that when I open it to John 1930, where Jesus' last words, it is finished, if there's not an exclamation point there, I just won't spend money on that Bible. Because I believe Jesus went out with a war cry and not a whimper. I believe he went out with a as a warrior, as the king of the universe, as the ultimate alpha and omega male. And because I believe that so passionately, I just refuse to, to read a Bible that has him going out any other way. And so I tell men to finish strong, but here's what I tell men, Mike, because our focus is guys who have families. I tell guys this, when you get home from work from six to nine at night, that's when your job really begins. Everything that's going to be written on your tombstone, everyone who's going to mourn at your funeral, everyone that's going to who's going to weep at your bedside is going to be the guy people that are there from six to nine every night. Mm -hmm. So you have to finish every day strong. And if you finish every day strong, compounded over time is a strong life finish. And so that's what we tell the guys: finish every day strong, finish your life strong, because we want men to go out with an exclamation point. Not an ellipsis, not a question mark, you know, not a comma. And so finishing strong, I'm just so deeply passionate about it. Mike, I don't know about you, buddy, but I mean, I, I, not one of my senior pastors retired as a senior pastor. All of them quit or were removed. Hmm. All of them. Wow. And I can't tell you how many guys today that I, that used to be once vibrant, dynamic Christians are no longer walking with Jesus. And I, I realized that, man, it takes a strong man to live for Jesus and to finish strong. And it takes a life that's doing that compounded over time. Oh yeah. You're, you're absolute. That, that is so true. And, and it is a shame. There's so many, so many of our leaderships, so many of our leaders in, in churches today are having a tough time with that and, you know, walking away from the faith it really is. Absolutely. Well, we did, we went through these five essentials, you know, most of the time when we write these books, if it's got some kind of a, Christian flavor to it. It doesn't really attract the, the non-religious people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and men don't typically read. They don't like to read, you know, even though that's one of the things I tell them they need to be doing. Uh, sometimes I'll say, you know, there's three things you need to do. You need to read, read, and read. And, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so what would attract a non-religious person or a, even a, or, or a brother in Christ who typically don't read, to your book. I mean, they're not going to see these five essentials there until they get into the book, but, but uh, what would kind of attract them to your book and why, why would they be, uh, well, why would they be drawn there? Yeah, it's really a great question. So first of all, I, there is a miss and the miss is uh, our target audience are guys that commute to work and we have not put out an audio book yet. So that's the mm -hmm. first thing we're doing this year where all of our books are going to go onto audio book. The second thing I would say is this, and I, I kind of, joke about this. I write books for men who don't read books. <laughs> I, I, I tell if you, the cover, the cover is a very masculine cover. It's a, it's a book of only a, about 150 pages. Yeah. I, I tell tons of stories. 
Uh, I keep the words short and the sentences short. And I'll tell you a funny story, Mike. So I had a guy. So our uh, we had we had track guys from over 100 countries to our various ministries, and uh, they, and they believe a lot of different things, right? I had a guy. I tell a story of a a couple that bought Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I'll just stop there. I won't spoiler alert it, but. I had a guy write in and said, Mr. Ramos, and he was clearly Hindu, Hindu, and he was from India, and I, he was also a Hindu, and he said, uh, I really liked your book. It got boring in the middle, which is where I talked about God, mm -hmm. and he said, but I do have a problem with the chicken, the Kentucky Fried Chicken story. All of us creatures on, on the planet are equal, and you should not talk about eating chicken. That is that is wrong. <laughs> Wait, so, read the book. <laughs> yeah, he read the book, and of all the things I said, he disagreed with eating fried chicken from KFC. <laughs> so, so all that to say is it, it, it attracted a guy who clearly was not a believer, and uh, it was. But and a lot of guys read these books of mine, and they I try to write for guys who are who are manly men who don't have a lot of time, and I try to engage them through the power of story, although. I would say the problem with my writing is I'm blatantly, unapologetically a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I'm not going to track a guy who's uh, opposed to Jesus. Most of the people in our audience are guys that would call themselves Christians. Many are not involved in churches, but they would call themselves Christians. And a lot of our guys, I think 81% of our users use an iPhone, and another 80% are from small towns of over under 100,000. So mm -hmm. that's the target we write to. So we know our target really well. And that's who we try to write to. Uh, well, super, super. You know, that's that's interesting that you talk about you keep your writing simple. Uh, I had somebody tell me the same thing. You know, it, it, uh, uh, write like you talk, and uh, so that way it keeps them interested. So that's great know. advice. That's great <laughs> advice. Well, I, I for years I tried to write like I was smart, <laughs> and people were like, "This doesn't sound like you. You never use the word altruistic or prag pragmatic." I'm like, "I don't." So I just say, "Do good things." <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I had a guy tell tell me the other day. He said, "I read your book, Mike. I read your book, and I liked it. And there's one thing I liked about it was the fact you didn't use those fifty cent words." <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. So, anyway, well, well, Jim, you know, this is great, and you and I could continue to uh, have this conversation for quite some time, but we are coming up on our time, and and I want to give you a couple of minutes just to share whatever is on your heart to the men who are listening to this as we begin to wrap this up and, and close out. Just share whatever you feel God's laid on your heart right now for the next couple of minutes to, to the sure? guys. Are you sure? Well, I don't want you to pull any punches. I want I you would to share. Say, yeah, I would say two things. I just read a, we've got a lot of buzzwords flying around our country right now. And I would just yeah. tell guys, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is a religion right now that is in the middle of a revival and it's called critical race theory or critical social justice. Yep. And when you hear words like anti-racism, white fragility, white, white uh, privilege, when you hear things like cancel culture, when you hear things like that, you need to rebuke those in the name of Jesus. That is a religion that we do not believe in as followers of Jesus. Do not allow that in your churches. Do not allow your pastors to use that terminology. Uh, it is it is antithetical to Jesus. And I, that's on my heart right now. Uh, the church needs to wake up because we are immersed in this culture that if, I mean, I had a black kid living at my house last year for an entire year. I'm, I'm the other, I am absolutely 
not opposed to different colors or any of this. But that is it is against Jesus Christ. Uh, BLM statement of faith is anti-nuclear family, blatantly anti. And the church has to stand up and say, call me what you want. I've already canceled you, so you can't cancel me. I've already canceled you, so you can't cancel me. But we have to step up and tell our pastors, don't use those words. That's not Christianity. And a great resource is Vody Bauckham wrote a book called Vody Bauckham is a black man who yep. was born in central, South Central L.A. by a single mother. Yep. He wrote a book called Fault Lines. And you need yep. to educate yourselves on this book, guys. And the second thing I will add, which is different in my last minute, is this. Guys, this podcast is awesome but you have to plug in to a men's small group. You have Amen. to do it. You Amen. can go to our website at meninarena.org. We have virtual groups that meet all over the country. Rex Tigner is one of our leaders, Mike. Uh, and guys, you and if you don't want to use a men in the arena group, go find a group in your church, in your community. Uh, hit Mike up. Mike is a great resource. You have to get out of the anonymous bleachers and get into the known arena where guys have your back. Amen. Amen. And I will 100% back him up on what he just shared with you. It is absolutely truth. And I have read the book, Fault Lines by Bob. Oh, Hall. cool. And you and and I'm telling you guys, he is absolutely correct. You need to get that book if you hadn't and read it. It is it is a phenomenal book of information that will open your eyes to a lot of things. I, I share it. Well, Jim, I, I appreciate you being on today, and and it has really been an honor to have you. Uh, I know you just shared. I think uh, you shared your website a minute ago, but I wanted you to share it again to the guys that are listening. Uh, how can they? Uh, find out more about men in arena and how can they get up with you? If they would like to contact you about speaking uh, at one of their events. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find guys. If you just go to men in the arena.org, uh, there's a speaker page. Uh, you can get all the information and we've done something. I'm really proud of Mike. We just put a, a book on the website. That's free. It's called tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. And it is free. It's it's two it's like 250 pages long. It's an unbelievable resource, guys, and I would encourage you to go do that. And then just hit me up at info at menarena.org. I'd love to have a dialogue. Super. That's great. Well, once again, it was great to have you on today, and, and I appreciate everything that you do. There's no doubt to you. Uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jim was way over on the West Coast. I'm way over on the East Coast. We're or we're a continent away from each other, but we're brothers in Christ and, and with the same heart to, to reach our men. And I thank you so much for, for that. So as we close the program today, I, we, we talked about his book. I want to share with you and give you an encouragement to, to pick up my book, The Call, A Journey into Men's Ministry for you leaders and pastors who are talking about men's ministry, because it is about my journey into men's ministry and the things I have learned over the years. And if you would be so kind to leave us a review wherever you pick it up on Amazon.com or Barnes and Nova, I appreciate it. Gentle Conversations is a ministry of Cape Fear Men. And if you want to know more about what we do and what we discuss on these programs, uh, you can reach out to us at capefearmen.net or you can personally contact me at mike.sandlin at capefearmen.net. But for now, I leave you with a blessing and mentor used to pray over me each time we had uh, time together. And he would always say, I pray God will give you a rock to stand on, a brook to drink from, and a tree to shade you. This is Mike Sandlin saying God bless. And I hope you will join us next time on the next Intestinal Conversations.